ladies and gentlemen. It is that time once again, broadcasting almost live from an undisclosed location, because this week we couldn't really find anywhere else to do it. It's Tavern Voices. My name is Kevin King, and with me, as always, is the other host and um, lesser-known entity of this duo, Tyler Crawley. How's it going? I do like how um, last week you warned everyone that you would be changing up where we'd be broadcasting from to... I thought you were going to pick a new location. You just went with nothing. You just said, we're just broadcasting. We we are this week. because I, <laughs> I like it. Well, you prepared everyone. You prepared everyone for the lack of location. So they weren't surprised. So anyone, yeah. that, anyone that listens to our podcasts, um, you know, what do they call that? What's that? What's the term? Secession? Is that, is that right? Is that? I don't know. What do, you, what do you mean? A subscriber? The person who listens? Or? Yeah, I mean like if you watch them, if you listen to them in a series. So that way if you listen to them out of order, they would be confused. But if you listen to the last one, then your lack of location would – Oh, like make. sequentially or in Sequential. succession. That's it. There you go. Yeah. What's the set? That's that. In succession. That's what I said. I was just wanted to – you know, it's just – Not to be confused with succession, which <laughs> yeah. ends up to statues being torn down. That is very true. That is very true. So I guess we got to start this week talking about the gigantic story last week, which was the indictment of North Carolina GOP chairman Robin Hayes. And I got to tell you, this story, you know, it, it's it's kind of crazy. Um, and Kevin will get this reference. So I'm hoping everyone else does as well. But there was a great documentary that was made uh, about Enron called The Smartest Men in the Room. And there's a scene in the movie where one of the reporters who was kind of following this story and kind of, you know, I don't want to say broke it, but was one of the reporters that sort of, you know, found the irregularities and everything else. She said, a lot of people think this is a story about like big numbers and complex things. And she's like, really, it's like a story about greed. And that's really all it is. And that is exactly what the North Carolina story is, is that it, the wall street journal did a great piece about, about a month ago um, that broke down sort of this guy, Greg Lindbergh, this business entrepreneur. I don't even know how you describe him. And, and what he did. And it's very complex. It's very complex in that, you know, he set up shell companies and, you know, it's basically a shell game. He's moving money around. He's borrowing money. And he's basically trying to hide all of this. But really what it comes down to is he's somebody who wanted special favors and he went to government officials in trying to get those. That's really all the story breaks down to. And it's it really is a crazy story. And so I guess we'll basically kind of start with the indictment. And so Robin Hayes was indicted uh, on bribery, wire fraud and lying to the FBI. And we'll start with the bribery charge because that's probably the one that encompasses pretty much everything. And so what really happened was this guy, Greg Lindbergh, wanted a more beneficial regulation for his company. So the rule is, and this isn't just North Carolina, it's a lot of states, 10% is how much, so if you have an insurance pool, you are allowed to invest 10% of that insurance pool money in other companies that you own. They do this for the purposes it makes sense. They don't want people putting their interests in front of the uh, subscribers or, or, or customers or clients of the insurance company, people that are paying their premiums. They want to be looking out for that, not for the guy that, that owns the insurance company. And so he came to North Carolina, had a couple insurance companies, was buying more, and wanted those regulations raised from 10% to 40%. And his argument was that his companies make a lot of money, and so this is actually in everyone's best interest. And that's still debatable, by the way, but we'll get to that later. And so he said, "Let's. I want to raise to 40 And from what we can tell, the insurance commissioner at the time, the administration at the time, allowed that. 
And that was under the Democrat Wayne Goodwin. Wayne Goodwin then lost his race and Mike Causey won, a Republican. This guy, Greg Lindbergh, did not have as good of a relationship with Mike Causey. And so he tried to give him money uh, in legal donations. And Causey was like, no way, man. <laughs> he smelled something fishy from the beginning and said, we're not taking those donations. So then Lindbergh went to the Republican Party and said, well, I'll give you 500000 but 250000 of it has to go to Mike Causey. And that you can't do because basically what you're doing is you're circumventing the law that says you can only give $5,000 to one political component. So that is the bribery aspect uh, that Robin Hayes is looking at. And I'm guessing the lying is he said he didn't do that. (laughs) This is what the lying to the FBI was. And so that deals with just the indictment part. We'll get to some more aspects of the story. But, Kevin, I did want to get your take on sort of, you know, the – crazy complex campaign finance rules um, and how common because the argument that you're hearing from a lot of Republicans, oh, everyone does this. This happens all the time and da, 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 da. And of course, Democrats are like, this never happens. This is outrageous. From your perspective, how complex and crazy and ridiculous are these campaign finance rules? Well, first of all, I wanted to let you know that as a general rule, I only give my perspective on this show. Okay, Um, good. So from from my perspective, I will have to say that um, that I think the campaign finance laws are absurd in, in, in an extent. And, you know, last week we almost went full libertarian. And so let me let me go back down that path a tad on this and talk a little bit about um you know, this idea that you have to restrict money, that you can only give X amount to a candidate, um, that, um, gosh, what is the other aspect of it that I'm, that I'm thinking about? We talk about PACs. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, PACs, they have more limitless well, you can donations, give unlimited but, money to parties. Is that what you're saying? Right. And so you have the citizens United thing, right? And that's where the left gets really upset that they say, you know, a business is a person or whatever. I think this falls into that same dichotomy trap that um, the term limits idea falls into, right? Like we should restrict this and then it would fix all these problems. If we just fixed money in politics, that's always the saying, then we would solve all of these problems. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think that if you just unleashed it and let any candidate, any person put as much money to whoever they want to – that would actually be more truthful, I guess. And you wouldn't have to play these games, right? Because this is essentially the same thing you get with tax loopholes. People find ways around it. So the candidates who are going to get a bunch of money, they're still going to get it no matter what law you pass. It's just, it hurts the smaller people. And I think what happens is the smaller people don't have the ability to handle the money, to do the filings properly, to categorize. I mean, listen, I ran for office in... 2012. So seven years ago, right? And it was the most absurd process dealing with campaign finance reports. You have to fill it out and things are counterintuitive. This means that and you think it means this. I would have to go down to the uh, the board of elections and ask them questions. And I think I spent like $500 for the whole camp. I mean, it was an absurd amount of money for the effort it took to go through this. That being said, I think there has to be a, a total change around it. And, and I, I just think it's one of those things people get a false idea about. They're like, oh, well, if we just restrict how much money an individual can donate to a campaign, it will somehow just take the evil nature of the corruption of politics out of it. And I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, you see this, whether or not he lied, whether or not Robin Hayes was involved, this dude still could have given this money and 
like you said, a Democrat insurance commissioner helped him out before. This Republican is going against him, but you've got a Republican chair that's indicted. This isn't a party issue. This is a person issue. And no matter who is in those, uh, you know, sitting in those seats, you would have had this same problem with a bunch of money going to help special interest. Yeah, I think you're right about the, you know, if, if you're a bit, I've said this before on the show that as long as the government is involved in business, business is going to be involved in government. And, you know, this is, this is the same analogy people make about the Middle East, where they talk about, you know, Israel being involved in like all these conflicts. And the argument always is if today, uh, you know, obviously, uh, especially the Palestinians, if they stop fighting with Israel, Israel would immediately drop their weapons and it would be peace. Um, but if Israel were to, you know, drop their weapons, then Palestine would, would, uh, would, would take over Israel and kick all the Jews out. And to me, I feel like campaign finance like is like that. If businesses said, you know what, we're no longer going to be involved in politics. The idea that the government would then go, oh, okay, well then we're not going to be involved in business. No, they would like take over. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say it's full on, you know, socialism and they're going to, you know, seize the means of production. But if government said, Hey, we're going to stop over-regulating businesses and picking winners and losers and crony capitalism, business would love not to spend money in Washington. I mean, people act like businesses want to spend millions upon millions of dollars on something that nets them at best um, zero sum. I mean, at best, it's it's a zero win for them. Um, unless you're a company that sucks and you need the government to keep you afloat, they love lobbying because that's the only way they stay alive. But businesses that are fruitful, businesses that are profitable, hate that millions of dollars have to flow to these lobbyists that all that their best effort is keeping things as is. And that's just a waste and it's stupid. And so the minute they don't have to do that anymore, they would stop doing it. But they're not going to stop as long as they f- unfortunately have to do it. And so they're going to find a way to spend that money. And as we all know, the Citizens United ruling, which by the way, People don't realize this, and this is what's so funny about the Citizens United ruling. The Citizens United ruling only deals with businesses. It only deals with corporations. A, a, a 1976 Supreme Court ruling, Buckley versus Vallejo, is the one that ruled that rich individuals, so that's George Soros, that's the Koch brothers, that's Tom Steyer, all these super rich uh, people even if we overturn Citizens United, they would still be allowed to do exactly what they're doing. And so everyone that thinks like, oh, this golden, um, you know, the silver bullet would take care of everything by getting rid of Citizens United. Rich individuals can still spend the money any way they want because money is, in fact, speech. And so Paul Shoemaker had a, you know, a longtime uh, political uh, advisor here in North Carolina, strategist, whatever you want to call him, said that really what they should be doing, and this is something that I'm, I'm sure we've talked about before, is making it easier um, to donate to, to candidates because what what people really don't like are the, is the dark money, the super PACs, um, the regular PACs, the LLCs, all of that. Get rid of it and just say you can give any whatever you want to give an, an individual uh, candidate, you can. And he said what they should do also is increase transparency reporting instead of once you know once a quarter, it should be once a month. And that way, everyone knows who's giving money. Everyone knows where it's going. And we have more transparency. And so if someone does want to take a million dollars from one donor, from one company or whatever, that might look a little sketch. People might say, you know what? I'm not going to vote for this person. Or maybe they will. But that's the better way to do it. That actually provides more transparency, more information. And instead, what we're hearing is now the Democrats and others are advocating for public financed campaigns. 
This always, this idea always pops up. And now they're arguing for that. And, and uh, Kevin, I know, as you know, uh, the reason we don't have public finance campaigns anymore on the presidential levels, because Barack Obama stopped doing it in 2008 when he raised a historic amount of money. And he's the reason we don't have that anymore at the national level because he blew it up. And so it's funny that, you know, Democrats always think it's a horrible idea until it benefits them. Then all of a sudden they're for it. I didn't hear him complaining about Greg Lindbergh when they were they were uh, outing. I don't know how much money on uh, Wayne Goodwin. And now all of a sudden it's a problem. And so it's it's everyone hates dark money when it's against them. Yeah, well, I mean, we can't forget our billion, our first billion dollar president, right? Yeah. Um, I thought that you had a great point in talking about the corruption. I think that basically you said government was Hamas. Um, yeah. But I'll, I'll 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 stand by those comments. <laughs> you'll stand by that. I thought so. I, I was like that. That's that's a great analogy. Um, because that's the issue that people don't understand. That's always my biggest argument for the principles of limited government. It's that you don't have to worry about who's donating to candidates and who's lobbying, who's spending millions on, on all this dark money. If government doesn't have the power to affect you, right? I mean, that is what it boils down to. And it seems like an oversimplification, but you know, the companies like Monsanto that everyone hates, right? They wouldn't have control and all of this power and all of this money in politics if there wasn't the FDA regulating, you know, what is approved or not approved in, in drugs or uh, in your food, uh, what's on the label of the bread you buy in the grocery store, right? All of these layers of government just build in the ability for corruption and cronyism. And that's what this Lindbergh story boils down to is you have government controlling a particular sector. And so the person in that sector wants to use government to help him out. It's it's a very simple, I think we could get some Sesame Street puppets, some sort <laughs> of, uh, uh, what, what was the, the schoolhouse rock could yeah. do an updated version of corruption and cronyism and explain it in about five minutes to a kindergartner. Well, it would be funny because now, you know, it was like, I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill. Instead of it being like an actual bill, it would be a hundred dollar bill in the updated version. It would be like, I'm just a hundred dollar bill on Capitol Hill. You know, it's like it's flowing from pocket to pocket. I mean, it's it's that that would be a pretty more a more apt, I guess, um, uh, representation now. But, you know, what's, and here's the thing. And, and this is, I guess, the big debate, because I've always argued that one of the reasons that banks and all, you know, go back to the 2008 crash where the banks were investing, you know, too much money. They were, they were, they were way too leveraged. And it led to this situation where banks were worried about going out of, out of business and everyone would lose their deposits. And, and it was this you know, big concern. And so we, I guess we can go back to, I guess it was, you know, the savings and loan crisis. And so we have the FDIC. And so the, the government backs uh, deposits and everyone goes, isn't that great? And you're kind of like, it is, but at the same time, now you don't, you don't care what the bank does with your money. Where back in the day, if you had your money in a bank, and I'm talking about a significant amount, and you'd want to know what that bank is doing. What are they investing in? What, what, what are their investment? What's their portfolio look like? Are they taking risky investments? Now no one cares because their money's insured. And so to me, this is sort of the same situation with you know, this guy has an insurance company and he's investing his own, uh, you know, the pool, the money that you know people are paying in premiums. He's taking that money, investing in his own companies. People should be worried about that. And the argument is, if we didn't have that government protection, would people pay more attention to what these institutions are doing 
or is the reason we have those protections because people aren't and never will pay attention to these financial institutions because they just don't have the time? I don't know what the answer is to that, to be honest with you. Oh, I have the answer. The more the more you are coddled and whether it be parents or government or whoever, then you you don't learn the hard lessons. Right. Because that's everything not to get really existential, but it's like you can't grow muscle, for instance. Like if you start working out, the the reason that you build muscle is you tear down the old muscle. Life is a constant destruction, creation, destruction, creation. And the best positive outcomes in life come from really negative bad situations, right? What Shark Tank? Talk to any successful business person who will tell you the reason they got to where they, they they got to is because they swam against the current. They fought against everyone who told them no, everyone who said their product was dumb, so on and so forth. They, they fought through the adversity to become a, a positive on the strength side. And I think that's what we see with society is now you have the dumbed down lowest common denominator approach to everything. It's if somebody takes advantage of someone or a product doesn't work as advertised or like we talked about last week, maybe McDonald's coffee's too hot or whatever, then, you know, we, we've got to blame someone else. We don't say, you know what? Lesson learned. Never doing that again. Move on. You don't have I mean. All I can think about with this Lindbergh situation is this is going to be an episode of American Greed. I love that show on oh, CNBC. Absolutely. Yeah, it is, it's a great show. And this is, but here, you know what's really weird, Kevin, is that they still haven't unraveled this guy's uh, mess. And so, for all we know, this guy has yet to do it, other than, you know, he violated the amount of money he was allowed to invest in himself. Other than that, we have no idea. Maybe his companies do bring a return to 35% a year and these insurance companies are flush or maybe they're completely bankrupt. And so they're still unraveling this story. And that is what's so crazy about how complicated this guy's set all these structures up is that they still can't figure out. I mean, he was buying houses with, you know, LLCs and then was creating LLCs and putting his attorneys in charge of some of them and then borrowing money off those LLCs and then reinvesting that money into a thing. So the ownership rates stayed at a certain level. I mean, so we have no idea how bad financially this guy has left these insurance companies or if there is no problem. And I mean, he's, he's, he says he's not guilty and he says that he was always doing it in the best interest of, of, of his clients. And so- we don't know, but I mean, yeah, this is definitely going to be, a, if it ends up being as bad as everyone thinks it's going to be, then yeah, this is American greed. This is, this is, this is like its own special. I mean, you could probably do a couple episodes of that show. I mean, it, it's like a Bernie Madoff type situation. Yeah, it is. And you look, so if you watch American greed for any amount of time or you, I mean, Bernie Madoff, you brought up great example. You have people assuming that because there is government intervention, because you have regulators who look over the financial markets, because you have legislators passing laws to protect you, that you don't have to do it yourself. And so you have all of these people who blindly give their money, invest in things, assuming, you know, it's not necessarily naivety or um, any sort of ignorance. It's assuming, well, I mean, that's why we have government, right? It's it's, this person can't lose my retirement. There are laws, and then what happens? 
they're on the episode of American Greed going, now I have to be a greeter at Walmart because my 401k is empty because I was taken advantage of because I didn't do my own due diligence, because well, I didn't go through the steps to, to you know, I risked it, assuming can, that big government is just going to protect me. But can people do that? I mean, so if you're the average person, right, you're the average person and the average person nowadays still, you know, they didn't go to college. Um, who knows how much understanding they have of these complex financial documents and, you know, what actually is made, you know, available. Could the average person, I mean, because I, you know, I, I've taken accounting classes, I've taken finance classes. And if you told me to, to look into the books of some of these companies and try to figure out if what they're telling me is, I mean, Bernie Madoff, for example, forged his documents. The SEC didn't catch this guy for 20 years. The average person is not going to be able to do that. And so, I think there needs to be a balance. I mean, you know, once again, never go full libertarian. I don't think we want a situation where, uh, you know, no one is protected because I don't even know what, what you do. I mean, how do you protect yourself? I mean, how, how do you get all the financial statements? And then once again, how do you know if they're even true? I mean, like this guy was doing all kinds of things. I mean, it's so complex that like people who are trained to do this have been working on this for months and can't unravel it. There's no way the average person was going to be able to look and go, oh, I like this insurance company because this guy's doing this. You have no idea. So I think there needs to be like an understanding that there's just some things the average person is not going to be able to do. And so I think some protection is good. But what level is that? It's kind of like a tax rate. Taxation is understood to be a part of society. But what is a susceptible level? And when does it get detrimental? And when is it not enough? And I think that's the issue is um, how, how do you get the average person involved but not – requires so much involvement they can't actually do it. Well, I think this is a, a good point to make. So I would I would say that even if uh, you're a college graduate, I would say they don't have a clue what they're talking about either. Well, that's so true I don't too. Think it's a, I don't think it's an education factor. But, but, you know, but um, I'm saying is taking classes where you learn how to read financial statements and understand, you know, balance sheets. I mean, yeah, I mean, that definitely helps. I mean, I mean uh, like I said, taking an accounting class and learning how balance sheets works. Yeah, you can learn yourself, but I'm saying learning it in school definitely is better than teaching yourself. But what, what I'm saying is that right now you have people investing in something that they don't remotely understand, assuming that nothing bad is ever going to happen because of government, right? And that's not the answer either. So, I mean, I agree with you, but I think it comes to a point where there is a buyer beware. There's an understanding of maybe you shouldn't invest in some sort of particular, uh, you know, insurance type plan or in the stock market or in this, that and the other, unless you have someone who you do trust. And I think that's what it ultimately comes down to, right, is that it's always every industry has an expert. Like I call a plumber. Right. I don't have time to learn how to plumb. I have to take the plumber's word for it. <laughs> and I find someone who I trust, who luckily in this day and age, we have reviews. We have neighbor word of mouth. Hey, they worked on my house, so on and so forth. And you find someone in that particular industry who you trust. But then at the end of the day, it's still ultimately you're taking a risk. Right. The whole reason that you invest money is a risk reward situation. You don't invest it and say, I'm going to put money in a company because I'm guaranteed to get X, Y, and Z out of it. And so it might not be for everyone. But I mean, I agree with your premise. I do think that there should be some sort of safety net balance. But I think the point that we're at now is we've created this entire societal structure of hypothetical safety nets, whereas 
it's really just a playground for corrupt politicians and cronies and businesses. And I think that's something that a lot of people on both sides of the aisle agree is a major, major problem. It's just the left thinks that more government is the solution. Ultimately. And I also, yeah, I mean, I, I also think one of the other big problems is that we've also given people an unrealistic sort of expectation in a way of what people contribute to retirement and then what they get back. Pensions, for example. I mean, there's a reason that pension plans have pretty much disappeared from the private sector because they don't make any sense. They, they just they don't make sense on, on, on a balance sheet. You either have to take way too much money, uh, which no one was going to agree to. Uh, or you lower the benefits. And that's why what you're seeing is defined contribution plans and not defined benefit plans, which are catching off to basically 401ks. And where do pensions still exist? Government. <laughs> and so government is still doing that. I mean, we're seeing it here in North Carolina. Dale Falwell, the state treasurer, is constantly ringing the bell about the unfunded liabilities of our state health care plan and our retirement plan and saying, we got to get these things under control because we got a big problem on the horizon. And so I think that's another problem that we face is that, you know, insurance companies, you know, people, you know, go to insurance companies or they go to whoever and companies can, can make these claims and try and, and meet these maybe unrealistic expectations because even if things go belly up, Guess what? The government is the backstop. I mean, there's a law that says if these pension plans uh, or insurance companies go under, the government will then be the backstop. And so it allows these companies to do ridiculous things because it's like, oh, you know, if things go bad, then, well, whatever, the government's got our back. And it's not like I put all these people out on the street or I've, you know, ruined their lives because now the government, and I don't know if the government pays 100% or if it's pennies on the dollar. I, I don't know how that works, but I know that the government is a backstop to some extent. And so that also creates sort of an unrealistic uh, and sort of a moral hazard situation for these companies because the average person would go, oh my gosh, if I lose this money, you know, people's retirements are done. And some people don't care about that. I mean, a lot of people on American Greed certainly don't care about that. But some people probably go, well, even if it doesn't work out and we go bankrupt, then the government will just, will protect these people. And so that could also be, um, Another reason why you we're seeing this happen, um, not frequently, but you're seeing it happen at the rate that it is because there's people almost, you can kind of be guilt free because you know, the government's going to protect those people. And so maybe you don't feel as bad, but I guess, I don't know. I, I don't know what someone's mindset goes through and knowing you're going to destroy someone's retirement and man, I hope the government has their back. You still got to be somewhat immoral, I guess, in a way to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think that ultimately is the flaw of the assumptions in the pro-government argument is that you could somehow remove the human element from government as if government isn't made up of people. Right. I mean, that's that's pretty much what you and I talk about all the time. It's as long as you're putting a person in charge of other people for good or for bad, you're at the mercy of their moral character, of their own incentives I mean, isn't that, um, you know, pretty much every movie ever has something to do with good people being leveraged. What was the, um, what was, oh, in a dark night, right. Where they, where the, the, the one police officer had uh, a family member that needed medical treatment. And so they would normally be a good police officer, but they're, they're corrupted because there's other factors. Obviously that's a made up example, but the point (laughs) being that that's ultimately what it always is. I mean, as long as you can put money in front of someone, this is why we have super rich politicians in DC, 
right? It's not because they went up there to serve the people. They had incentives. And whether people like it or not, I think that's why they subconsciously are okay with someone like Bernie Sanders being super wealthy, even though he preaches something totally different than what he practices, is because he's using his particular corruption for a cause they like. And the same thing goes for the right. No, that is the big problem. Um, and it, well, you know what? It's really funny because we're having this big debate right now nationally about whether or not Trump should release his tax returns. And you know, everyone on the left's like, "You better release him. He's got to release him." And Bernie Sanders is very hesitating. He didn't. He didn't release him in 2016, and now here he is four years later, and he still hasn't released him. And he's saying, "Oh, I will. I will soon." But he keeps saying that and he never does it. And I think it's it's because he is a lot wealthier than even some people think that he is. And it's going to hurt his street cred. If he's worth seven figures, which he's got three houses, he's sold books. I mean, it's very likely it's going to really hurt his street cred. I mean, he's going to be the millionaire that he talks about. And, and he already knows it, but he doesn't want other people to know it. And it is funny that he, you know, doesn't want to release it because there is an argument that it would hurt his, uh, it would hurt his cause a little bit, but I don't know. You might be right. I mean, it might be like, well, okay. He got rich off selling ideas that, that helped me. So I'm okay with that. So I don't care if he's a millionaire, I'll let that slide, but we're, we might find out as to whether or not there are any, there are any principles standing uh, with Bernie supporters or if it is just BS and they just yeah. like the guy. And so they'll support him. Well, not to go on a total tangent, but you're talking about tax returns. And I thought about an email I got about a week ago, and uh, I thought that you would find this interesting. Uh, email came through. It was talking about Elizabeth Warren's 2017 tax return. And did you talk about this on the show by any chance? No. Are you familiar no, with her no. return? So anyway, um, it said this particular email was forwarded along, and it was from uh, from someone. And it said, Senator Elizabeth Warren just proudly, proudly and publicly released her 2017 taxes. $54,000 is the amount that she actually paid and was required to pay by law. However, her income on the taxes was $913,000 and some change. So almost a million dollars she made, paid 50 some thousand in taxes. Mrs. Warren also had deductions of $140,000 offer almost seven-figure income. Lastly, Mrs. Warren's salary from Harvard University, as shown under 27 taxes, was $430,000 for her part-time work in the School of Law. Haven't heard much outcry about that. I don't know if you have or not. <laughs> but I think it's funny when you start talking about the fact that when you peel back all of the rhetoric, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Donald Trump, they're all pretty much the same behind the mask. Well, I, I think the thing with Elizabeth Warren is that everyone kind of knew that. I mean, she lives in you know Massachusetts. You, I think you have to be rich to live in Massachusetts. <laughs> it's a state um, law. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like required. It's like Silicon Valley. It's like you can't be poor and live there, even if you work like no job. Even if you have a crappy job, you're probably still you know rich in the in the grand scheme of things. And we already knew that. I mean, that she you know she taught one job, and and um, it, 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 that's why I don't think it's less surprising. But she also hasn't gone full on socialist. We always say don't go full libertarian. You also can't really go full socialist. Even don't tell Bernie, Bernie that. that. Well, but they say Democrat socialism. So even they're sort of like, which is really funny that they say that because socialism supposedly 
is Democrat or it's supposed to lead to communism, which I guess is the most Democrat, where the people control the means of production. Um, so I guess that would be Democrat socialism would really be, I guess, communism because that would make a lot more sense. But so they even they don't want to say full socialism. But I think Bernie being a millionaire would be, I think, a bigger hit because you could say, well, Elizabeth Warren taught and or she's got a husband and da 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 da. But Bernie would have to have made all of his money um, being a senator because he hasn't done anything else. That's all he's done is being a politician. And so if he got rich being a politician, then he's no better than all the other people that he talks about in Washington. It's sort of like, in a way, if it turned out someone from the Freedom Caucus uh, got rich uh, being in office, it it like it destroys you know, you're the argument that you're making all the time about how you know Washington makes people rich and we have to stop that. If you get and get rich, well, you're part of it. You're doing the same thing. Even if, even if I agree with you, you're still doing the same thing. And so I think it's less shocking for Elizabeth Warren, but Bernie, I think, could face a hit if his his uh, if he's if he's a millionaire. I think he'll definitely take a hit for that. Yeah, we'll never forget that in the end, the creatures on four legs walked on two. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's some, the moral of the story. It? Some, some uh, animals are more equal than others. Is that the exactly? That the, that the yes, that is that is true. So everyone, your homework assignment for the next week is go read Animal Farm. It's quick read. It's only like 98 pages, right? Hey, if Tyler says he can read it fast without pictures, <laughs> anyone can oh. read it. I didn't say there were any pictures. I just said it was 98 pages. Do you have a <laughs> pop-up version or something? There's some drawings in on, on the cover. That counts. It's a good, it's a it's a good quick read. You're you're right. And this week, I mean, we basically just talked all about corruption and Lindbergh. So. That's right. Well, that's the, I mean, that, I'll tell you right now. I had uh, Nick Oxner on the show uh, last week. He's the one that broke the story, and he said that he thinks this could be the biggest political scandal in North Carolina history. Which is saying so, a lot. I mean, we've I mean, had some doozies. I mean, we had the Speaker of the House go to jail. So, I mean, it's... Governors. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, when we had the the Alfred play with Easley. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's saying a lot. So, we'll see. Well, you know, in North Carolina, we set the corruption bar high. That's so true. You've really got to jump to get over it. Anything else we need to talk about? No, I think we got to everything, at least for right now. I'm sure I'm sure uh, tomorrow there'll be some big stories. And so we'll wait and talk to them about it on Monday. Yeah, there'll be plenty. Next Monday, we'll go back. We'll get a full uh, smorgasbord, if you will, of North Carolina news stories, because I did see something pop across. I think there's going to be another teacher protest, teacher yep. mark come, uh, march May coming up. And um, which is I mean, of course, this has nothing to do with Democrat socialism. May Day. Parade, Except for right. the uh, their red fist that looks exactly like every communist <laughs> image in red shirts so, yeah, on May Day. But workers of the world unite. Anyway, I say uh, I say we just we, we stop it there and let's do it again we next week. We my friend. It should be it should be workers of the world unite. All you have to lose is your finger paint. That would be a good saying. No. OK. Your paper chains. Paper. Can we say paper chains? <laughs> Workers of the world unite. All you have to lose is your paper chains. I think that would be much, much more appropriate than uh, than finger paints because I think you just attacked an entire profession. That's true. That's true. I did. It's okay. Well, I'm sure people attack your profession every day, so we'll call it even. <laughs> you all have no idea. <laughs> all right, man. I'll well, send you the voicemails. I'll send you the voicemails. 